Hello everybody and welcome to this game where with me Ashley and me Chris. Hello everyone. And him Chris. Hello everyone. How are you? Um, good thank you. How Not are you? Not you, them. Oh, okay. Except they can't answer so Sorry, you'll have bro. to answer for them. They're middling. They're middling. Yeah, with no G, apostrophe at the end, yeah. obviously. Is that a Super Mario mug? Yeah, have you not seen that one before? Is that one of your hauls from Zavi? Yes, it is. Wouldn't recommend them. No? I wouldn't recommend them as a company, and I wouldn't recommend them anyway. I would, the Mario mugs, or any of their mugs, probably. The reason I got these Mario mugs was because I bought a board game from Zavi, and it was fake. They were really awkward for a start, but they insisted that the games weren't fraud, weren't fakes. Then, a few months down the line, when they realised that there were a lot of fake games being sold through Zavi. Um, they sent everybody £20. Did that heal the wound? Well, I, I won't be using Zavi again, in all seriousness. I won't be using Zavi um, because I don't know how, how a reputable company ends up with thousands of pounds worth of counterfeit stock. I did before, though. I think I've told this in the podcast as well. First console I had was a Game Gear. It didn't work properly. Mm. My dad took it back to Curry's, as was. They looked at it and said, oh, yes, because it's a counterfeit one. And then he said, well, we bought it from you, so... uh... Yeah, that is strange. I can understand... Well, no, I can't understand it. I don't know how it happened. Was it a problem that was rampant and rife? I've got no idea. I was eight. Curry's at the time? No. Zabby were already a little bit bit ropey, because for a number of reasons, which I won't go into, because that's not what the podcast's about, but that is basically put paid to my frequenting them and i used to go in on a regular basis when they were actually in on like a high street store i used to go in nearly every well basically every week i think probably more than uh, more than once a week in fact do they even exist in real life now is it just online it's just online yeah there it's them and a company called iwoot i think under the same umbrella i Um, want one of those with my 20 pounds i got five or six of these mugs they peel so there's another example of of shoddy products. So, I watched yeah. the uh, the Joe Lighter documentary this week about Shell. Did you catch that? No, but I'm interested. Go. It was all about them greenwashing and them also being bad guys. It was very interesting. It's illuminating, in fact. Yeah. Have you seen Total's advert? Are they baddies as well? Well, yeah. Basically, all of the uh, everyone, all of the petroleum bad guys. companies are, We're not. are not great. But Total have rebranded as Total Energies to try and cash in, and presumably on the shift towards green energy. It's got. I can't remember what it is, so I'm probably going to end up having to cut this. But it's got this really cynical that sort of makes it seem like total have decided to shift themselves you know like they've they've decided to make the change when in actual fact they have resisted it for so long and everything's changed around them to such an extent that it's forced them to have to reevaluate their business that sounds essentially the same as what's happened with shell Mm. and with shell in in their marketing touting the fact they're spending x amount per year on renewable energy etc yes they were doing that but they were also spending x amount times 20 or something ludicrous on lobbying on still no no on, on still carrying on just uh just do what they were mm. doing getting up all the yeah. oil and uh lived off the fat of well, the land there there will have been even worse things than that i imagine in their uh in their dealings but that is speculation and therefore well we're talking about oil and, and plastic and so on let's uh use some plastic controllers then and talk about what game we're, we're yeah. doing this week i, I was gonna say like our a, uh big our old, hobbies possibly Bunch not the, hypocrites yeah not the best i don't know i mean that's an interesting that is an interesting conversation that we won't have today because it, it's far too long but what is the green gaming how oh. do you game in a green manner pass i'd be interested i'd be genuinely interested to know yeah i am you've you've sort of opened that little door in my head and now that's all i'll be thinking about while we're recording i bet there'll be some blogs or something about it mm, maybe well I'm, I'm gonna have a look i remember chris not you chris 
I can't remember his name, but uh, People Make Games. I've talked about People Make Games in the past. I feel like his name's Chris Pratt, but I know that there's Chris Pratt, the actor. So um, anyway, People Make Games had an episode where Chris was talking about packaging on games and the fact that there has existed this really, this green packaging for for a long time, which is all cardboard and very sturdy. and, And that's really what we should be using. But we don't. I hate the packaging. I hate the fact that it all has to be stored for a start. Yeah, anyway, you asked me about the game. Yeah, come on. I told you that my brain's going to be on this all all evening, so if I seem distracted, that is why, because I'll be thinking about it and reading about it and all sorts. The game this week is this game where you are a former British spy flung back through time and space to relive a previously failed mission aboard what might be the most famous of seafaring vessels. Titanic? I mean, that's the seafaring vessel, yeah. Is that the is that your punt for the name of the game as well? When you said about British Spy, I, I was thinking James Bond. That's something about Austin Powers, because you said about the time traveling elements. But I, I don't think I, I think I'd remember a game where Austin Powers was on the Titanic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you probably would. Um, it, it's not tonally, it's not even close tonally to uh, Austin Powers. You don't know this game. I bet you do. I think you might do. Is it Oberdin? No, but that is a very good game. Mm. Did I introduce you to Oberdin? Yeah, you did. did yeah. No, you were bang on about it, and oh I, man, and uh, it, it didn't. It didn't float my boat, so yeah. I'm bothered. Well, uh, this is a game from 1996. It is called Titanic: Adventure Out of Time. Oh, you don't know this game? No, Point I don't. Click adventure from from yes. the mid 90s. Get in. Oh, I'm surprised you don't know it. So Titanic Adventure Out of Time is one of those little gems that you remember my neighbour that I mention every so often. Australian line o- over the gaming. wall. Oh, no, that's <laughs> you've you've mixed up two stories there. So the Australian is actually a New Zealander who oh. was significantly older than I was. I, and I mean, she was a pensioner when we had dealings and I was in my teens and she gave us our first PC. That's so a that plot was, twist. I'm, I'm sure she was, was Australian before. And I also imagined yours and hers ages being a lot closer. So. That's, uh, no, no, she that's, was. That's she a bit was, of uh, this game where law. <laughs> yeah, put to rights, I guess. The neighbour that I'm talking about is the one that was a gamer or had a, had a PC. Anyway, and I've said to you, he didn't really. He was the one that had introduced me to Final Fantasy VII, right? But in a really weird way. In a really weird way. What was it? Was he naked when he? he no, I told you. I'm sure I told you how he described Final Fantasy VII, and it is right, but it's so wrong as well because he described it as. Um, a game where you go, you you can go to lots of different towns or something like that. And it's right. <laughs> it's part of That's the game. True. That's true. It's probably yeah. the, the biggest part of the game. It's this game where you uh, you walk across the world map between lots of different towns. Oh, yeah, that sounds really boring. And I'd never played an RPG at that point, so I didn't know didn't know what the genre was and i it just wasn't scintillated by his description so there you go it took me took me several years more to realize that final fantasy 7 was actually a, a game worth paying attention to how did you sell titanic to you then he didn't this was this was one of his games though and it was a i think it was one of the games one of those that you get like on a sold out entertainment packaging because that was a lot of the time that was the games that i bought and that was the games yeah. that he bought as well and there's nothing wrong with them there there were some absolute corkers in yeah. that lineup as I, i'm sure I'd, we've mentioned before i had a lot in the, the sold out range toon stroke broken sword 2 a two that mm. jumped to mind i'm fairly sure that this was one of them and it as i've mentioned it's a point to click adventure game haven't i it was so it was made in 1996 or released in 1996 by a company called cyberflix have you heard of Cyberflix? I would be surprised. Sounds very 90s. Yes, it is. It's actually, they're like a proto Rockstar Games, is the way that I would describe them, because they were called Cyberflix for a very specific reason. 
And the reason is they wanted games to be something more than what they are in 1990 odd. I think when they were incorporated, it was 1991. So early 90s, they were they were one of these big thinkers. They were they were a group of these big think- thinkers who wanted games to be something more. And their something more, their version of something more, was more like movies. Right. Which is why cyber flicks, because cyber for the computer and then flicks for the pe- for the for the films. With you. Um, and and their aim was to make interactive movies and now we've been through this with multiple companies um over the last three decades and and probably before that but certainly over the last three decades and cyberflix were the 90s iteration of that i mean among others but um they made a game called dust which was wild west they made titanic adventure out of time and they made a few other ones i think they actually had a, a deal with paramount pictures or paramount interactive which was the gaming arm of paramount i don't unfortunately know because you're looking quizzical no, that's, i that's... don't know what the outcome was no uh, I, I don't know what games came out of it i'm intrigued by that i don't that's interesting i should have found out shouldn't i i should have had a look into it but i haven't because there's too much to talk about and there's too much of interest to, that's related to titanic i mentioned dust because the the way the games were made were similar so dust came prior came first titanic was next uh, in in the in the production line and they both used um like full fmv animation for their characters so if you think mist remember how mist yeah had that had those people that were uh fully i've said full fmvs but actually that's a bit of a lie it comes a it comes off as full FMV or, or close to, but actually what they did, they captured multiple images of the same actors, then stitched them together in different ways to make them look animated. Oh, so it, I, I've actually lied and said that it's full FMV, but it's the way I remember it in my head. And it resembles the way that Mist sort of uh, presented itself. It's more interesting and more characterful, to be honest, I think. Good. But Mist is the better known game, in, interestingly and oddly. So the character's being full, uh, character's being fully animated and the, the fact that they look human because they are they're captured from real human beings um that obviously all uh goes towards it feeling like a an interactive movie how many how many characters are there then so that was the next thing that i was going to tell you because it's quite staggering to be quite honest a game in 1996 made by a company that have not really had huge they're not like a nintendo you know they're making they're making point and click games for the pc which admittedly in the mid 90s was fairly big it had over 50 characters wow yeah so there were more than 50 characters in the game and this is even more staggering every single one of them had a had their own unique voice actor so we we're talking about more than 50 actors working on this one game when normally if you think if you think to other big point and clicks like uh, discworld the number of characters that were voiced by the same people yeah Trent robinson eric yeah. Idle, obviously admittedly big names but um they they voiced multiple characters and that was generally the way it was done you'd have you'd have one actor doing many many voices uh this had more than 50 it's running a bit of la noir in almost the fact that you've got the individual actors and then they're the people presented on screen but i'm guessing yeah. it's not big names it's uh no, but then it, in some ways, I mean, L.A. Noir is an interesting touch point because I I referenced the idea that Cyberflex were like the Rockstar games of the of the early to mid nineties, and I'm sticking to that because we know how the Rockstar brand had pretensions for one reason or another had pretensions towards film like game experiences, and that's what Cyberflex were doing, and there are multiple different 
ways that you can link that and that's the 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 la noir thing is one of them i think i genuinely think that had la noir not been doing what it was doing with the motion capture and trying to present itself as a as a film noir i just don't think rockstar games would have been interested in picking it up no that was the, the shtick that was the thing that elevated it yeah and i i think it was with the intention of, of incorporating the technology into future rockstar games but because the technology ended up being a little bit uncanny and hokey badly implemented i'll be i'll be frank i think that put pay to the whole endeavor but that's an aside that's a whole that's a whole different aside yeah so they they're making these films or they're making these games that they want to be films this is their first big success and the 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 story of its success spans multiple years Okay. first couple of months though the game releases it sells about 40,000 copies in its first month and then another 60 in its second so its first couple of months on sale it sold 100,000 copies which is fairly good and I read somewhere I can't remember where it might have been good old Wikipedia that the studio was quite happy with those sales numbers which you would be wouldn't you really 100,000 I guess if you're the million pounds the plucky underdog perhaps I was just thinking I've recently read the Jason Schreier book Blood, Sweat and Pixels and Oh yeah, okay. The, the first chapter of that was talking about Epic Mickey. It was the development of that, and yeah. they they were very underwhelmed with the sales figures, particularly of Epic Mickey Two. I can't quite remember what they were, but actually thinking about it, it's incomparable. It's a different genre, it's a different time, etc. So I'm just, I was just trying to work out if a hundred thousand is actually hundred thousand at the time was good. Is it right? A hundred thousand okay. would have been good. Dust their previous attempt at a, at a film game just sold about £20,000 and they were underwhelmed 20, unhappy with 20,000 20, copies so j- j- yeah, did you, I say £20,000 like, sorry 20,000 copies they sold and they were underwhelmed by that 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 wasn't seen as a, as a success but I thought 100000 uh, they were pretty pleased with well especially compared to 20000 definitely Yes. Can you tell me anything about the significance of the year 1996 in relation to Titanic? Oh. The fact that this game came out. Film. Yes. So James Cameron, a year after this game comes out, releases Titanic, the film with Kate Winslet, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a big old blockbuster. It was the biggest selling film in history at the time and was for a long time after that. I think it was actually James Cameron that knocked himself off that platform with Avatar, wasn't it? I believe so. Um, so for for more than a decade, that film was the biggest selling film going. And this game released one year before it, but that seems that seems to have been its blessing, really, because the game had an upsurge in 1997. So the, the film released in December 97, more than a year after the game. They then re-released the game. They reprinted 200,000 extra copies and sold basically all of them in uh, in 1998 just for clarity what, what was the game called adventure out of time so titanic adventure out of time um, for the reprint did they perhaps make the word titanic a lot bigger or that's a good question i don't know i don't yeah. know but what they did do is uh, certainly in america if you turned up to the game shop with a titanic ticket stub from the cinema you got five dollars off oh, so, so they were that's they were a being very savvy exactly so yeah, they they very much clung on to the coattails and to see where it took them, and it took them to really good places. Uh, to be to be honest, what was the reception to the game? Then obviously, you said it sold one hundred thousand copies. Is it well regarded? You know, what what's the critical reception around it? Or or I'm I'm imagining that there are people who went to see Titanic and then got this game and when they're a bit disappointed, perhaps I'm just trying to kind of get a handle on what the game's like. 
So the game reception is something that I'm I've sort of tried to tackle in, in another in a di- in a slightly different way, but it was it was generally well well regarded for a number of different reasons that I'm going to come to. But they they boil down to the presentation of the game uh, was good for a few ways that I'll talk about. Um, the story was good in a few ways that I will talk about. Uh, shortly and those two things came together to make the reception pretty good it, at the same time it, it, its bell curve is quite wide so there are people panning it and then there was there was a good level of sort of the average review was good and then there were people that were lauding it now this game picked up again in i think, I think 2018 somewhere around there for gog goddoggames.com right which speaks to its popularity because I'm going to I'm going to tell you what happened. So it was released in 1996. The film comes out in 97. It has a really good 1998. I think it gets to number 2 in the sales charts in America, which is pretty massive for yeah, game. Yeah, it that is. They weren't expecting you know 100,000 was was good figures. It then stays in the top 20 for 20 weeks. Drops out of the top 20, then in 1999 I think it it comes back into <laughs> the top 20 and all the way through to 2000 it's just selling. It's just selling. It's wow. like I, I've said again, I've said about them being the rock star of the 90s. And this is another way that maybe you could allude to that, to that fact because GTA, I don't remember I don't know if you remember GTA 4, GTA 4 and in fact GTA 5 now, both of those games just hung around in the charts. They just sold through for years and years and years and that's what was going on here. Yeah, was it wasn't it when um there was a point at which GTA 5 dropped out of the top 10 at some point X number of years after it had first been yeah, released and it was, and it was like remarkable. the first time it hadn't been in top 10. Yeah, and for people in I don't know, let's say it was 2016 after being released in 2013, yeah, the fact that people are still buying it in droves in 2016 yeah. was absolutely incredible and I think it then probably then re-entered or something. I'm not quite aware quite you know across the history yeah, of gta 5 happened. yeah but there you go something like that and that's what was happening here it sold through right up until uh the end of 1999 2000 um that cyberflix for a number of different reasons that i decided not to go into but they were they were in all sorts of turmoil um and they ended up selling titanic adventure out of time the rights to a company called barracuda entertainment and at the point that they sold it i think at the point that they sold it towards the end of 1999 they had sold one and a half million copies of titanic which that's you, you know, know <laughs> compared to the initial hundred thousand that's that's very impressive yeah exactly and and this was occurring over the course of three years or so um and it was really just serendipity that led to this if if it hadn't have been for james cameron putting titanic out in 97 the zeitgeist just wouldn't have been there for this game to do any more really than the the, the initial hundred thousand i don't think and i guess it's interesting as well that the they were trying to make a game that was like a film and then a film happens to come out that was based or not based on but you know linked to the game as well so it kind of ties it together in the what they were trying to realize yeah i don't know if you remember i certainly remember there was a bit of a weird thing in the zeitgeist uh, it, during the 90s for the for the titanic do you remember oh, that people still love like the titanic predates, i know i yeah. know people who have like their dining rooms for example that's themed around the titanic not not you you're know, joking like, themed. me you they, actually know got, people yeah that have got wow ornaments and and things yeah that, and the fact they've they've themed their dining room around that I, I find that baffling but yeah people lap it up i remember watching james cameron go down in a submarine to to have a look at the titanic i think that was post the film coming out and um there had been there had been all sorts of things going on with the titanic i think that the dublin museum you know the titanic museum yeah I think that opened sometime in the 90s but that might be me mandalaing to some extent maybe i i'm 
I haven't checked it and I'm not going to. But there was all sorts of stuff, all sorts of... It was as popular as Pogs. There you go. <laughs> Titanic and Pogs were the 90s in a nutshell, really. <laughs> and this this just, this was a way, in fact, I mean, that is a good point. So I watched, uh, to prepare for this, I watched a, a pretty good, actually, YouTube video. I can't remember who it was, but I will find out and we'll put, we'll put it on our YouTube, uh, on our Facebook. It was a 45-minute documentary, the making of this game. And it had a man called Scott Scheinbaum on there. Uh, who was one of the developers. One of the stories that he tells about the game being made, the reason that they ended up making this after Dust, Dust was a Wild West game. And he said that it sold 20,000 copies. They were a bit disappointed. But the reality of it is that it's a genre that is niche or was certainly niche then. It would probably sell a little bit better these days given the popularity and success of other uh, other Wild West games. Yeah, but on, on that note, Red Dead Redemption was a bit, oh, yeah, we're not sure if it's going to sell because... Yeah, they were very, there, very there were, trepidatious, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. And then they obviously yeah. had the complete opposite that because there weren't many cowboy games, it then sold very, very well. So yeah. Well, Cyberflix had the opposite experience, and off the back of that experience, one of the things that they decided to do was try and look for what was popular, and they rang the the I can't remember what what it's called the American you know the big old American library where everything's stored. I want to say the Library of Congress, but I don't know if that was the phrase I had in mind. Yeah, so let's let's just let's say the Library that. of Congress. Yeah. If you're if you are an American listener and you can correct us, please find us on Facebook and do so. But I I'm, I think it might be the Library of Congress. There you go. They they rang the Library of Congress and asked them, what are your most popular queries? What are people asking you most about? And number three, was, I think, was Titanic. I can't remember what the other two were. <laughs> so they vetoed. <laughs> we don't want to be the most popular. We don't go for second most popular. Let's go third most. Yeah. I can't remember what the other two were. It'd probably be a more interesting anecdote if I could remember, but I didn't write it down. So there we go. Maybe it, they were too it, sexy. Number three was Titanic. Yeah, maybe. I was thinking Matt, it might have been something a bit a bit grim or sinister or something. Like, maybe I, or, or inapplicable to a, a game film, whatever you want to call it. Scott Scheinbaum, yeah. He, so he says that the third most popular thing that people were asking about in the 90s uh, from the Library of Congress was the Titanic. So, you know, I don't know how many people were ringing in Library of Congress up and, and querying things, but it, it says something. I'll leave it up to you to decide what it says. That another, just while I'm talking about Scott Scheinbaum in this documentary, another thing that he iter- iterates is that they, obviously, uh, as, is, as is tradition in the, in the industry, they were working late, very late nights, very long hours. And one evening when they were in the in the studio working on the game they got a phone call and the phone call was an assistant to James Cameron oh. and James Cameron had got wind of the game and wanted was interested in as, as Scott Scheinbaum tells it he was interested in the models that they had for the Titanic they built their own model there's like a scale model of the Titanic and James Cameron was interested in that Scott then uh, speculates and he he says himself that it's speculating, but he does suggest that the sinking sequences for the for the film and the game bear a very striking resemblance. Right. The suggestion being that maybe one borrowed from the other. So I know I mean there was a side by side comparison shot in this in this documentary, which you know it, it does look similar, but I don't know whether. I don't know whether you know they've both looked at the facts of the of the event and then, as they were told by first-hand accounts, and then extrapolated it out in the same fashion or what. But and there we go. There, and then the band the played on. That's the phrase they always say, isn't it? The band played on. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know what 
I don't know what you're referring to, really. When, when it was sinking, there was a, a band, and they just kept on playing. The band played on. Okay. Sorry, everybody. That's true. Chris, that's Chris, that's historical fact. <laughs> okay. Cool. I do remember that bit in the video, in the film. Oh, so. I don't remember. I didn't like the film at all. Oh, I, I thought the film was okay. Uh, a, a, side, a sidebar. My mum took my brother, my older brother, to see Titanic at the cinema. Even then, it seemed like a weird choice to me that they would go to see that. I think it was my brother's birthday or something like that. Or it might have just been like a mum-son thing to do. And then he saw Kate but, Winslet's... Uh... I know, yeah, that would have been awkward, I would yeah, have thought. Yeah, it would. Uh, so that happened, anyway. And then the following Christmas, so this would have been 1998, I hadn't seen the film and I wanted to see the film because everybody was like talk, everybody was talking about it. I can't have been. In fact, I would have been. 1998, I was 10 years old. In 1998, I requested emphatically Titanic on video, on VHS, and got it <laughs> for, for Christmas. So, um, yeah, I watched that. I was a bit nonplussed at the time, but I do I, I do remember enjoying it. I liked the, not this, it wasn't this necessarily the sexy parts, although maybe, I don't know, but it was more like the spectacle of it, the uh, the scale of it all. I remember the... Uh, Pretty impressive. The, the VHS side of it that it sold really really well and even that in itself was a, a thing that my local paper there was an article where Woolworths had, had opened at midnight so that people could get their hands on the VHS copy and mm. they, it was the old sister of one of my friends it was in the queue and there was a quote from her in the paper about how she'd huh. uh, got a copy of Titanic at one minute past midnight yeah, it's a chance. It was a it was a proper phenomenon. Yeah, I don't it really, really was. Don't really understand it. I do remember uh, Celine Dion being on back to back on the box. Uh, yeah, music channel. My heart will go on. It's a fun song to belt out. I'll be honest. <laughs> Uh, Should we, so should we listen I've, to it tonight while playing this? Yeah, we might have to. Yeah, uh, I've alluded to the a, a couple of times actually, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this now. Uh, but I've alluded to the model that they made for the game. So coming at it from a slight, slightly askew angle, the control scheme in this feels a little bit compared to other things might, might feel a little bit janky. The way you control the game is you have you have arrows at the bottom of the screen and you can press forwards to go forwards and left to go left and right to go right, which might remind you of Mist because it's basically exactly the same as Mist works or that uh, first version of Mist. So that first person perspective that you're navigating around. Yeah, but Titanic. using those arrows as opposed to being able to move around in a 3D environment. And the reason for that is the game is actually a, a pseudo 3D environment. They made the, the studio, Cyberflix, made a scale model of the entire ship and they put in so much detail. Like the ship, the, the ship was rendered in like almost perfectly or as close to perfectly as they could get. If they'd included that, the game wouldn't have been able to run on anything but the hottest PCs uh, okay. and would have cost thousands of pounds. So what they did instead is they took the 3D model and they took thousands of images, thousands of pictures of it from any point that they thought might be navigable or navigated through during the game. They took a picture of it from various different angles and then they stitched them together in such a way that it felt like quite a fluid movement from one to the next. So so instead of having those like fade outs or whatever it was in mist, you know, like he sort of he sort of jumped, didn't he, mm. from from one place to to the next. Instead of having that, you've got these smooth transitions in between, smoothly animated transitions between two different parts of the ship, and you navigate it through these images. But the images are of this three D model that they made that James Cameron was really interested in, and it looks, as far as my mind, as far as I remember, it looks amazing. And one of the things that people were picking up on in terms of reception, in terms of uh, how how it was received, was the detail that went into these 
into the ship, into the bill, into the creation of the ship and the fact that it at points, certainly bearing in mind uh, that this is talking about a 1996 game running on 1996 hardware. People were talking about it in in photorealistic terms, like the, the these look like photos of the Titanic. Now, one of the reasons that they were able to do that is because they had a reset. So let's go back. So this is Scott Scheinbaum again. Scott Scheinbaum said they put out some promotional materials and the response to the promotional materials was a barrage of, of Titanic enthusiasts telling them that they'd got all sorts of things wrong. Great. And at that point, they realized that they were going to have to do a much better job of replicating the, the ship. Otherwise, it would, to coin a phrase, sink the game i don't know whether he was already on the game or not but a man called bill broyles was a re- was the researcher for the game bill broyles bill broyles sounds like uh something made up go on carry on it it does but that's uh that's his name so bill broyles was a researcher on the game and he was then tasked with getting all of the details that they could but one thing that you lack with the titanic and with things of that period was color photography so a lot of the stuff they were sort of having to guess at until bill broyles pulled it out of the bag that's what he did, because he managed... Bill Broyles bolted it out of the broiler bag. It's almost like a tongue twister. Go on, sorry, carry on. A little bit, yeah. Uh, he managed, and I don't, I don't know how he managed to do this, but he managed to procure a swatch book that had samples of all the materials that were used on the ship, including all of the all of the wallpapers and everything. So any wow. any carpets, any settees or chairs, any for any furnishings whatsoever, any walls, anything that was furnished in any manner, they had the actual real material samples of all of them. So they then meticulously went through the images that they had that they'd used to replicate the ship with and they matched them by the patterns that were on these swatches to the images so that they then had the colors to go with the furnishings and did that please the nerds oh yeah massively because this is one of the things that it was it was received very well on this this recreation of the of the titanic to such an extent that james cameron was ringing him up asking him if he could have a gander so yeah it in that regard, it was it was very well received. At the same time, the trade-off because of that was that because what was the control scheme? They couldn't, you know, like Quake, that sort of 3D shooter, you know, like Doom and Quake and so on. They, they were already around. They existed already. So you can move around very fluidly in a 3D space at this point in time. They could have done that, but they would have had to scale back massively the detail. Yeah. So they chose this control scheme that would allow for the detail. That paid them back in dividends. Just a query as well. Obviously, this is photorealistic and it, it's really well amazing realized blah 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 didn't you see you play a detective that's been sent back in time yeah right just just clarifying that point yeah i mean it, it I, I will come to that but then you, that's like saying oh it, in assassin's creed don't you uh play a bloke who inhabits the bodies of his dead ancestors oh by yeah climbing into a computer yeah it's fine i'm just just making sure i've got my head right around that yeah okay well just to put that into context there is the game in this in this package there is the game and then there is a and this is something that uh, ubisoft have done with their recent versions of uh, assassin's creed there is a tour there is a titanic tour that you can go on in the game and that's so that's there that's just something you can do they're clearly very proud of it hmm? they're clearly very proud of what they've done and that yeah that takes front and center and fair play to them from the sounds of it yeah understandably i i think they deserve to be proud so the other thing that was well received was the story um i've mentioned already that there are 50 odd fit more than 50 in fact voiced characters and you can talk to them there are branching narrative paths to take by talking to all these characters you can you can leave a character and come back to them and they'll remember what your conversation was and 
understand where you left off and then you can you can come back later and have a different conversation with them but that's based on the things that have happened since you spoke to them and there are the game has eight different endings wow. and they all depend on what you are able to achieve in the game so that revolves around four artifacts that are, are on and in fact, in some cases, were on the Titanic. So are on the Titanic in the game, but also were yeah. on the Titanic in, in real life. The first of these that was definitely on the Titanic is something called the Rubaiyat, which is a book. Do you want me to spell it? Yeah, maybe this is my one to have a, have a look as well. So Oh, right. Okay. I wasn't even thinking of that. I was, that was off mic. But uh, yeah, okay. R-U-B-A-I. Y-A-T, the Rubaiyat. And it's a highly decorated... The Astronomer Poet of Persia. Yeah, I guess so. This was a highly decorated book that had like gold leaf and really ornately coloured imageries and, and, and so on. So there's that. There's also a necklace that you have to recover. There is a notebook with communist contacts that you have to recover. And there is a painting. The painting uh, we'll come back to. But these four artifacts... It's the painting of Kate Winslet. No, you will find out what the painting was in a moment. These four artifacts, depending on whether you recover one, two, three, or all four, and, and depending on whether you uncover the Rubaiyat and the notebook or the painting and the necklace and so on, they then dictate what ending you get. So it's all different permutations of those four items right yes precisely now this is where so one of the things that you should know is that the game will the the titanic in the game will always crash and always sink you cannot change the fate of the titanic that will always happen the ending also oh no i'll come back to that so you cannot you cannot change the fate of the titanic i've been spoiler that the titanic hit an iceberg yes yeah what you can do though is change the history of the 20th century can you remember did you ever learn when the titanic sank uh april 1920 12? Even to the month. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So April 1912. I, I did it in is... year three. I, I really enjoyed did it. Yeah. Nice. So um, bit grisly for year three, isn't it? Year three for, for people in America. What is that? Seven years old? Yeah. Yeah. So seven year olds learning about the mass death of many, many people. Oh, we didn't concentrate on that. We just did a, made a Titanic and an iceberg and learned about the, oh, the structure right. of the Titanic. Is the, the deaths were kind of swept under the carpet okay. a bit. Right. Cool. Great. <laughs> Uh, even better. So you can't change the fate of the passengers on the Titanic, but what you can do is change basically the the course of the entire 20th century, because depending on what you recover out of those four items will dictate whether the First World War happens, the Second World War happens, whether the Communist Revolution happens in Russia, and whether the Cold War happens in the, well, 50s, 60s, and and 70s. Is that because of each of those items? Because you mentioned the Communist Book of Poetry? Yes. It's not so, a sorry, book the Communist Book of Poetry. It's a notebook the, of Communist The, the other thing poetry. Sorry, I'm getting that muddled up. Yeah. The Rubaiyat and the Necklace, they are apparently, they're on their way to the black market in America to be sold to finance the Black Hand. And the Black Hand are the terrorist organisation behind the killing Archduke of Franz Archduke Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand. What's his, what's his name? The, the the man who did it. Yeah. I can't remember his name. No, I can't. I'm going to Google it because it's going to bother me otherwise. All right, you Google. So the Rubaiyat and the Necklace, they're to be sold off to finance the Black Hand. And if they if they reach America, you are then responsible, therefore, for the death of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and the First World War because you didn't do your job. Gavrilo Princip. There we go. The Notebook with Communist Contacts. If you don't recover, if you don't recover the no- Notebook, then... 
the communist contacts go unknown. They stage the Russian Revolution. But if you do recover this notebook, you're a British spy, you pass it on to the Russian government and they then go around and they kill all of the communists in America. Uh, sorry, in, in Russia, which then ceases the uh, the potential for revolution. The painting is the weirdest um, most out there one because the painting I mean can you guess I, I've covered the Russian Revolution I've covered the First World War I haven't covered the Cold War because I don't know how that factors in what's left what historical event yeah what could we what What was the other thing that I said we were going to try and She's- Halt. It was World War One, World War Two, Cold War, and and the Russian Revolution. Yeah. So co- Second World War is the thing that's missing. With the painting that I haven't covered. Yeah. So the painting. How could the painting possibly change the course of events for the Second World War? Was it the painting of Whistler's brother from Mister Bean? No. Right. No, it's weirder than that. It would that that would have been more normal. <laughs> Right. Because the painting is an early work by the much maligned painter Adolf Hitler. Right. Was he a painter? Yes. Did you not know that? No. All right. He studied art at, uh, I think, in Vienna. Well, genuinely. He went to, yes. Yeah, he went to university. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you not know that? No. Right. Okay. Well, I thought that this was one of those things that everybody knew. So he nope. he went to university and studied painting, but apparently he wasn't very good. So he did some bad things instead. <laughs> and uh, the art, uh, the... The conceit behind this part of the game is that this painting is an early work by Adolf Hitler, who wasn't a very good painter. But if you recover the painting from the Titanic, it then becomes the only piece of art to have ever been recovered from the Titanic. It was say the only piece of art to be saved from the Titanic, which then makes Adolf Hitler famous as a painter, which then kickstarts his painterly career however bad he is he was the one that his art was saved from the titanic it kickstarts his career as a painter he never then he then never joins the nazi party and never goes on to become dictator fuhrer of the of the third reich mad yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting idea it feels tenuous at best i think i think it's well conceived well i don't know if it's well conceived i think it's it's at once very well and very ill considered yeah (laughs) because you can imagine like a man who goes to university with grand ambitions of being a great artist who then gets told at every step of the way where you're not really that good might become quite bitter might lead to him being finding an outlet for his bitterness and so forth at the same time yeah it's just uh yeah it's just a bit a bit much but then we were able to do that in the 90s yeah i think at least in this country titanic pogs and messing around with history or yeah uh, rearranging history have you seen have you ever read the book look who's back i think it's called look who's back team ever mees Nope. Well, that, that's an interesting premise. I'm not sure Is that history? whether I enjoyed it or not. No, it's not. No, it's a it's a fictional account of the return of Adolf Hitler, and he springs to life. In yeah, the middle of, I think Berlin. I've heard of that. Now you've, now you've explained what it is. Yeah, he springs to life in the middle of Berlin and becomes friends with a paper seller and hangs around on the corner, and everybody thinks that he's like some silly joke, but actually he's the actual Adolf Hitler. I'm just saying they're doing it now. That that was released about five years ago. That book, so you know, it's happening. It's happening now. It's happening then if you can't play around with some history so yeah that is the game as in a smaller nutshell as i could really sort of cram it into it's quite a large nutshell isn't it yeah and i haven't even mentioned so i I will say this and then we'll probably we should probably play um eight different endings as i've said the ending of the game for the most part you're free to roam around the the ship but then once you hit a certain point that is when so the point that you hit 
is the point of the iceberg because when you hit the iceberg that then sets off a real world timer in the game that you then have to beat so i can't remember how long the timer is in my head it's 20 minutes but it all plays out in real time and you have to you have to then figure out all of the mystery that's left and be in the right places at the right times over the course of that 20 minutes or that that timer in order to complete the game another side note depending on if you do thwart hitler's oh that's an interesting one so i will tell you about that just as a a little taster of the eight uh, endings that you can get so if you thwart the russian revolution if you stop the russian revolution from happening but you don't stop hitler from coming to power you that you are then responsible for hitler beating the russians because the russians aren't in a fit state to fight world war ii Mm -hmm. so hitler then beats the russians he then takes over britain so he he basically his his plans are successful and he takes over the whole of Europe and Russia and the game ends with you, with the I think the Gestapo banging your door down in the middle of London and shooting you dead. Great. So there's one happy end, well unhappy ending. There are others. There are seven others. Are you are your whistles wetted? All to play for then. Hmm. Very much so. Are there, are there any other random nuggets of information or should we? Uh... No, we should kick into it. didn't have nearly enough time with the game that is the caveat that i'm going to lay down before i ask you anything but how do you feel is it a sinker or a stinker no they're the same thing sink is it a sinker or a floater i mean they're the same thing as well aren't they no oh dear sink or float that's the opposite do you like it or do you not like it <laughs> uh yeah i i really really liked that game ah yes i I'm sure I'm winning. What, in the grand this game where tally? Yeah. Mm, maybe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm about 50 up. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've definitely... I mean, I've only had 40-odd episodes, but... I've definitely submitted some some sinkers. I could have quite happily spent a lot longer just exploring the Titanic. It, it, it's, yeah, it's to, so nice. had to rip you away from the tour. So No, no not, not even that bit, just the actual exploring the ship itself and chatting to people and trying to piece it mm-hmm. all together. It was It was so so well realized that the world it created is is brilliant yeah it is i was just going to say i was just going to tell the audience that you started up the game and then kicked straight into the tour rather than actually going for the game and i had to pull you out of that and make you actually play the game given that we didn't have very much time. yeah well that was one thing i liked from the start was the fact that the main menu the initial menu after the after the Sydney Flicks um, splash. splash screen, thank you, was it had start the game or start the tour. So I thought, I'll give the tour a go just because you'd, you'd mentioned it a bit at the start. And it starts off with chat in, in the, the guy's cabin that you play as with a servant who gave you a little bit of exposition. He was giving me a bit of history about how Titanic was built. There were some photos. I was having a great time. And then you said, here, yeah. try that for a game that way. So, uh, so I did. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just needed you to get to grips with what the game was offering. So the game is a point and click mystery. And I know for a fact that you won't have got terribly far into the actual mystery. But did you, what did you get to grips with? Oh, there's, there's so much to unpick to actually kind of get to, to the, the nubbin of that question. I, mm. I, 
So let's talk about the actual Tolkien's characters then. When you speak to characters, yep. they occupy the sort of the top two thirds, I guess, of the screen uh, yeah. with your control panel across the bottom. And the way they are animated, we, we talked about anywhere in the first half. It's not fluid by any stretch of the imagination, but the characters will go through these little loops of facial animation. So it might be, um, but it's basically a photo and it might be that they raise their eyebrows and they go back down again or they they have the, and their mouth moves as they talk but it's not fluid movements it's just a bit like a, like a very crude animation where it's open close open close a bit like stop motion sort of yeah it, it remi- they, they actually took a stop motion approach sort of a semi-stop motion approach in the sense that they had multiple images of people's mouths and people's eyes and and bits of their face and they uh, from different angles as well and then they would t- uh, they would sew those together to create certain effects so you're talking about the mouth flapping open and closed to talk well that is because they had uh, three or four or five or however many different images of a mouth being open in various different ways and amounts and a mouth being closed and then they would they would they would seamlessly <laughs> sew those together well they'd, they'd sew them together maybe not seamlessly it reminds me of and it was bothering me the whole time I was speaking to people. There's a, an animation I've watched or a cartoon or something where it does the same thing. And I can't for the life of me remember what it is. It's going to really bother me. It kind of reminds me of a, a slightly more realistic version of the Monty Python. Yeah, that sort uh, of skit. aesthetic. It is that sort of aesthetic. And recently we've talked about the procession to Calvary, which it takes that kind of approach as well. Like it, it's got these images of people. Um, that it then has the mouths flapping open and closed in a comical way. This is this is both comical and not comical. So I don't think that they're they're going for comedy. No, no. But I think what um it does achieve is that the because of the way that they've animated these characters, they feel really full of character. Mm. Yeah, that's they feel real like real like real people because they come off as a bit eccentric a lot of the but time. But it's not just the the face so the head itself might move or sometimes their hands will come up and they'll gesture at you and things like that. It really did. I felt a lot more than any point in click game I think I've ever played. I felt like those were characters. If you think to games like Discworld or Broken Sword or Monkey Island, the ones I've played a lot of, the characters you speak to just stand there and their mouth will animate but that's and maybe they might move a little bit but that's about it. Whereas these, it was like, genuine people like there was one character i was speaking to who uh, he was telling me the location of a door and his whole head gestured behind him he said oh it's that door behind me brilliant yeah and the fact that they he could have they could have done lots of different things with that but the fact that they've used the animation to convey information Mm. is it's the opposite of lazy like it is really considered and thoughtful but the, the thing that i liked the most going back somewhat to your question was how I'd be speaking to one character and they might mention they've spoken to someone else and maybe don't like that person. So then that makes you think, oh, what is it about that person? And then they might say, oh, that person's walking around this area. And then it then makes you think, oh, I want to go and visit that area, speak to that person and find out what. And bit by bit, I was getting this idea of it being the Titanic, a living, breathing ship with people that were actually going about their business and, and interacting with each other. A community. Yeah interacting with each other mm. regardless of me being there or not and then i just happened to be dropped into this community which is what the gameplay itself was that the, the character was uh dropped in there uh it just it was just so well realized everything about the game it was going out of its way so much to build this world and make it realistic from newspapers you'd look at it you mentioned that 
the, the first cabin, there was a menu you could look at and it was the menu for the day in April 1912 that time traveling character was, was deposited in. Uh, so, so well done. It really is. The depth of information as well. So if you in your cabin uh, as the British spy that's being flung back in time to this mission that he failed. So that's that's the premise behind this, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. But this person, this character that you're playing, they went on this mission and they failed it. And that led to all of the events of the 20th century. Right. So the, this has got a... The game begins not on the Titanic, but in a room in the middle of london during the blitz he gets bombed or the this room gets bombed and the windows fly out of of their frames and you get blown back and that's the point at which you get sent back in time so i i don't know if there's an implication that actually this is some kind of wish fulfillment on the behalf of the of the character or or what but it's interesting inference though that i hadn't considered that you hadn't considered right okay or, or whether this is actually something that's happening in, in terms of what it, what the game's narrative is i guess think about that the the character in that flat just to run with that idea because i like that had a model of the titanic so maybe it is that kind yes. of that flash before his eyes as uh, in 1942 as the windows yeah uh, sort of wizard of oz yeah yeah i like that take on it yeah i like that more than the time travel so, idea for some reason oh right okay fair enough yeah so that you've got you've got this character and and he is this spy and in his room is this big box that has got a mission impossible style message that's delivered through a gramophone then in in one of the uh in one of the drawers in this is big box is a confidential a, f- a set of confidential files and that has got uh, pages worth of background on the political s- situation uh, across the world so it, it gives you a, a rundown of what's happening in europe in 1912 a rundown of what's happening in, in the americas in 1912 and where all of the big players stand sort of on the precipice of war and it's massively detailed and that's just tucked away in a drawer that people might not even open or as i did i and opened it scan wrote it and then put it back again yeah it's there you don't have to yeah. read it though but it's there if you want to you don't have to read it but it's just this this game is just jam-packed with stuff like that the attention to detail the the historical attention to detail that I was trying to sort of really emphasize in the first half is, is just everywhere in particular it's with regard to the ship and and how that is portrayed but it's also got all of this other stuff going on both through characters and through documentation that you find on the on the ship that is really interesting if you want it and we wondered about the characters if maybe they were actual real people who were on the Titanic. And Ash did a bit of digging for a couple of characters we encountered. We came to the conclusion they're probably not, presumably on grounds of taste, because and also those families yeah. of those people maybe wouldn't want their lives trivialised in some way. I, at the same time, there is a potential uh, that you know people might actually dis uh, people might not actually agree to likenesses. You, you know, yeah. there's that as a as a potential um, wrinkle as well, isn't there? Which I didn't think of till just now. But um, e- either way, uh, the characters do feel like real people, even if they aren't real people. And that is a testament to the game and how well they, they have done with well, it. Just following that point, the Titanic itself, that was my main takeaway, was I just really enjoyed exploring the Titanic, which I didn't think would be something that would, um, mm. if you'll pardon the pun, float my boat. And I was just really enjoying wandering around the Titanic itself. And again, this is going to be really... Um, obvious point, but I didn't realize how big the Titanic is or was. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah, it's called I, the Titanic. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. In terms of scale, you can walk from the front to the back of the 
deck at uh, the top deck you can walk from the front to the back in in not very long i don't know how long it actually would have taken but um it certainly is vast and cavernous and uh warrenous. it's labyrinthine set when you get into the uh the decks there were what was it i i guess there was like was it eight or ten floors went down to g deck to... so i think it was ten yeah, because you had to, yeah. a couple of the, the deck on on top and all that as well yeah yeah so you had you had that, and then you had the cabins, the room upon room upon room upon room. Um, and it, it's very easy to get lost. Fortunately, the game does have some uh, navigational devices that allow you to skip back to various points, like fast travel points, really. Which, again, um, for a game coming out in 1996, I think is very applaudable. It is, and but also necessary, I yeah. think. Uh, when you're talking about this massive space that you're left to explore left let me just emphasize this left completely to your own devices like the game starts it pops you in in your room and then from there it i mean it tells you go find penny pringle but you go find penny pringle in the gym it doesn't tell you where to find the gym just gives you a map an actual map as well not not like a game map it's the actual map of the ship as it would have appeared on the ship you then go you have to go find her and at that point you've given your mission you're given your task and that's that you you left penny pringle as a character does actually act as like a navi type mm. character like you can go and find her in her room and ask her what she needs to do next. i encountered a, a reverend trout i think he was called and he's told me that mm. penny pringle was in uh, cabin F-34, maybe F-36. So mm. I found my way down to F-34 or F-36 and then trust her again and she gave me a bit of a prompt as to what I was supposed to do next. But I like the fact that that was buried within that and also I had to find it myself rather than just yeah. being, I don't know, press H for a hint or something. It was it was yeah. done so you well in the game. You had to go and hunt her down yeah. <laughs> in her room. Yeah, and there's a, there's a character called the... Is it the Purser? So you had to go and... If you wanted to find somebody's room so one of the characters that's mentioned is zytel commander zytel or captain zytel whichever one one of the two and penny tells you about captain or commander zytel she doesn't necessarily know where he is she doesn't know what his itinerary is but if you go to the purser you can ask about anyone and anything on on the ship so you can go and say i want to know about commander zytel and he will tell you he's in this this room and then you can go and find his room and knock on the door and see what happens and you could do that with basically any of the characters and any of the doors i was knocking on doors left right and center it's fast and therefore those navigational those fast travel points are necessary i think not just not just welcome but Mm. necessary i i did get lost i still got lost yeah but i I quite enjoy getting lost just just finding my way around Mm. and just seeing what i found i stumbled across some turkish baths and then went in and had a bit of a nose around them brilliant yeah exactly i went to the squash court and stood in the squash court so did you manage to get yourself on the deck yes did you notice that the music cuts out when you get on well the deck? that's another point is the sound design is amazing both again it's that that realization so the the, the flat at the start of the game has a, a a news bulletin that's playing and you can turn the radio off but uh, it just creates that sense of exposition is very clever but the music is is so good there, there was one deck in particular i, I said to Ashley to go and visit it because the music was so oh, maudlin yeah. and and you said that a lot of the reviews credited the game with its the sense of melancholy it imbues within it which again is is, is fitting for the, the titanic oh, i th- 
I think that's conflating two okay, things. Sorry. The, the music, the sound design was well received, but I did say about how it, everything seems bent towards creating this melancholy tone, mm. which feels really appropriate to the to the Completely. game. Completely. Uh, as well, coupled with the fact that I, I mean, we weren't playing for very long and I didn't get to talk to that many people in the grand scheme of things, but people seemed to have this sense of unease, this sense of foreboding. All of the characters were just on edge and nervous of something and they didn't know what. So coupling that with the melancholic tone, you get this real towering oppression. Yeah, that's quite This real oppressive atmosphere that just from almost the beginning of the game is over you and pressing down on you. And I I just really like it. And then when you go out onto the the boat, the music just just goes. goes. And then that in itself. And you've got the whistle of the the wind. It's so powerful as well. Yeah, haunting and eerie. It is really, 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 I can't, I, can't, I keep saying emphasize because I think this game is the sort of thing that for a lot of people, if they if it wasn't on their radar, it could very easily slip under the radar and they wouldn't pay it any, any real attention. They wouldn't feel the need. But I just want everybody that maybe finds their way to this podcast to understand just how well done <laughs> this game is. It, you might look at it, you might go on... Uh, the internet and search for it and go ah well it looks it looks a bit shonky but honestly if you if you're thinking that just give it a go it it, it'll it'll blow your socks off i'm sure it will um that's the other thing that i was going to say so i i suggested to you about this maybe being sort of a wizard of oz style thing um the other thing that occurred to me is that all of these things together and the fact that actually given how many people were on the Titanic? 2,200 or so people were on the Titanic. There weren't that many people in the game. No, but... I th- like, you'd expect there to be more people. Yeah, but I think if you'd had more, it would have got a bit too... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I Yeah, I think there are game reasons. Yeah. I think there are design reasons for not having that many people. But the, the fact that there weren't that many people, and when you did come across people, they weren't all... You weren't able to talk to every single no, one. No, you had those weird stilted animations where they they would turn like it was a proper nineteen ninety six character model where they turn and look at you and then turn and look away. Just yeah, what one one frame sideways, one frame full on, and then reverting back again. Just very stilted. All of that. So the fact that you've got this music that creates this melancholy tone, you've got the music cutting away when you're on the deck and the wind just whistling, and the fact that the boat seems still, like the boat doesn't feel like it's moving coupled with those people that you can't approach that you can't talk to and that if you click on them they come and they turn around and they just stare at you for as long as you hold the button and the lack of people all of it makes it feel like a ghost ship to me anyway that is again something that i wondered while i was playing whether this is he's dead maybe he's been blown up by the bomb and he has gone back to a place that uh, haunts him because it's this moment of failure in his life that that set off a chain of events that led to catastrophes not just for him but for the world big events that he was for all intents and purposes responsible for it's a very deep uh, takeaway from the game yeah but it's there there for the taking yeah that's what you don't know I where to go now, now do you no. i'm not helping no. <laughs> it really it really is there for the taking that that's what i would say it the game it, it's not it's not a deep meditation on or at least i don't think it is I was young when I played this. I don't think it's a deep meditation on death and regret and guilt and all of these things that I'm sort of suggesting might be there as undertones. It might be, though. 
because I haven't played it since I was 10-ish, 10 years old. So it might well be there. What I do remember and what we haven't got to is that the game feels more like, you know, like an Agatha Christie style mystery to solve. It feels more like one of those than any other point and click that I ever played. And the last sequence where you're racing against time that feels like an absolute adventure a rip-roaring adventure the mummy style you know like brendan fraser running through some kind of adventurous moment that's all right i don't yeah well if someone was going to be the main character i would imagine it would be brendan fraser well i imagine in that bit then escaping towards the end the the controls uh, would have helped that because i found the controls really good in terms of navigating it was it was so fluid yeah and also and also the the visuals for that as well just the the seamless animation the fluidity is when you navigate around the titanic it, it looked the game as well just looked so good it was all a lot more polished than i remembered it being as well i remembered it being a bit jankier than it seems now and i also thought that the controls were all on screen rather than being able to control it with the keyboard i was using the wasd keys you were using the uh, arrow keys which is standard fare for uh, games these days but i know that playing age of empires uh, i couldn't use the wasd keys right. uh, for that and that came out after this so whether that's something that's been inserted for the version that we were playing which is the uh, good old games re-release or whether that was always there, I'm, I I couldn't say. Um, but yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. The fluidity of the movement and the fact that I could control it with the with the keyboard. It was it was just so smooth. Everything was so smooth. I don't remember it quite that way. It was an absolute pleasure uh, to play it. Uh, genuinely, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's one of the best, if not perhaps the best game i think we've played for this podcast ever yeah i i I really really enjoyed it all right okay well you've got it now yeah do you think you'll play it yes i I really will i it's just like you said the atmosphere the the haunting nature of it it, it's 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 draw me in yeah so for anyone else that wants to play it how much is it on good old games so the titanic adventure out of time before i tell you how much it is uh the how long to beat time is 11 hours wow for the main and extra that's a lot more than i was expecting for the, for the main story it's four and a half okay okay so what i assume that means is if you want to get through the story once without worrying about what ending you come out with then you will be looking at four and a half hours if you want to go through and get multiple different endings then that would be 11 hours Right, so with you. So your real playtime is probably going to be somewhere between that. I don't know exactly how long. but And is this only available on PC? It's not on any consoles, I'm guessing. No, it's not on any consoles. So it's £4.39 on good old games. And I know that you can get it on Steam as well now. And it's well worth it. It's, it's seriously worth it, especially if you're into your point-and-click adventure games. Because this is it, genuinely one of the best ones that I've played. Mm. So yeah, go for it. A Titanic episode length for a titanic game then yeah i don't know if it will be when we've finished i'm gonna try and edit this down but at the moment we are it's gonna be long isn't it an hour and a half okay uh, thank you very much for listening just before we wrap up normally just a quick hello we've had a few more people join us uh on podbean this week just wanted to say hello to any new listeners yes we have which is rather exciting so thank you very much for listening if you haven't already come and join us on our social medias on facebook twitter instagram and youtube and remember to like share subscribe rate and review i know we always say that but if you could that'd be really helpful yep certainly would and we'll see you next week thank you very much for listening and bye goodbye